Welcome to the Aspire Church Podcast. Following Jesus is not a once-a-week proposition, but a daily pursuit. When Jesus invites us to follow him, he's not inviting us on a walk, but into the sacred rhythms and patterns of discipleship. Join us for a series from Luke 8 through 11, where we'll learn what it means to be fully devoted. Uh, Glad you're with us today as we continue our series called Fully Devoted. Uh, We're talking about what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And here at Aspire Church San Marco, we have a definition of discipleship. We've been looking at it every week during this series. And here's what the definition says. Discipleship is the process of learning the teachings of Jesus and following his example in the power of the Holy Spirit for the sake of others. Now, I've said that to you every week for the last several weeks. Now, I want to hear you say it with me. Can we read it together? Discipleship is the process of learning the teachings of Jesus and following his example in the power of the Holy Spirit for the sake of others. And we are during this series, we're looking at how do we cultivate a heart that is ripe for the Word of God to take root and transform us. So we've been looking at this for the last several weeks. How do we cultivate a heart for God? The first thing we said is that we have to understand that salvation is free, but discipleship is costly. God's gift of salvation through Jesus Christ is completely free. There's nothing you do to earn it, but if you want to truly be a disciple of Jesus, someone who follows him, there's going to be a cost involved, which means that the second thing is we have to count the cost of following Jesus and make a deliberate plan. You are not going to stumble into discipleship. It would be like you stumbling into run, being able to run a marathon. I mean, there's no way you can do that. You're going to have to train and prepare, do the work, eat the, eat the right kind of food, exercise every day. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, it requires a deliberate plan. The third thing we said is we have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. That hurry is the enemy of discipleship. That, that if we're going to walk with Jesus, we have to walk at Jesus' pace. We, and Jesus was never in a hurry. So we have to eliminate hurry from our lives. And then last week we said we have to simplify our lives in order to grow our capacity for Jesus. Meaning that all the clutter and distractions of our life, whether that's from possessions, whether that's from devices and entertainment, whatever it is that's cluttering our lives, we have to simplify our lives in order to make more room in our schedules and in our heart for Jesus Christ. So I want to continue our series today, and I want to start it out by talking about the best year I've ever had as a sports fan. And uh, that may surprise some of you because I actually am a sports fan. I am not athletic at all, but I do enjoy sports. And my two favorite sports are college football and Major League Baseball. And my two teams are the Atlanta Braves and the Georgia Bulldogs. So I absolutely had the best year of my life, and I recognize this may be as good as it ever gets. The Braves have won the World Series four times, 1914, 1957, 1995, and in 2001. The Georgia Bulldogs have won the national championship three times, 1942, 1980, and 2021. It's the first time they've ever both been champions at the same time, and I hope it happens again in my lifetime, but I'm prepared for the fact that this may be as good as it gets for me. It may never be any better than this. Now, I I was talking to a friend of mine. Some of you may know Mark Stapleton. I didn't know about Mark, that Mark was actually on the 1980 team, uh, the Georgia Bulldogs, uh, the the 1980 championship year. 
and he was talking about how he felt after the Georgia Bulldogs won the national championship. He said, of course, he was really excited. And then as soon as the excitement wore off, he said, I was shocked to, to feel like, so what? So what? Now I've got to start worrying about next season. And the thought came to him, can't we just stay here a little bit longer? Can't we savor this victory just a little bit longer? But immediately his mind, as mine has, turns to the future and thinking, okay, but can we pull it off again? Can we make it happen again? It reminds me of a story, and this is going to seem like a strange leap in analogies, but for those of you who aren't sports fans at all, it reminds me of a classic piece of literature by Charles Dickens called Great Expectation. Some of you may remember the character in Great Expectations, Miss Havisham. She was the daughter of a very wealthy man who received a letter at 8.40 a.m. on the day of her wedding that her fiancé wasn't coming and that the wedding was called off. So she stopped all the clocks in the house and never took off her wedding dress because she thought to herself, this is good as it's ever going to get and I want to suspend time right here. So the wedding gown would decay, the house would sort of fall in around her, but she was trying to stop time to hold on to that moment and to avoid the tragedy that was facing her. Some of us have done that same thing as it relates to our spiritual growth. Some of us have had the same experience spiritually that I am having right now with the Atlanta Braves and the Georgia Bulldogs or that Mish Havisham had in Great Expectations. We, we feel like we've stopped the clock at the exact moment of our salvation or at some other spiritual high that we've had, and we're living as if time hasn't moved on, as if following Jesus is a call to stand still. Following Jesus is a call to stay right where you were on the mountaintop when you met him. The problem is, Jesus doesn't tend to stay on the mountains. He travels down into the valleys. And a call to follow Jesus is a call to follow him from the mountaintops into the valleys and perhaps back to the mountaintop again. But a call to follow Jesus is a call to continue to move forward. See, don't confuse this idea that we have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives and that that is somehow idea that we stay where we are. Following Jesus does mean that we move on. So if you have a Bible, open with me to Luke chapter 9. I'll begin in verse 18. As we look at this next part of, Luke, of Luke's gospel, as Jesus is continuing to try to educate his followers about what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. Now here it is, Luke chapter 9, verse 18. Now it happened that as he, Jesus, was praying alone, the disciples were with him. Notice there it is again, Jesus praying alone. And he asked them, what do the crowds say that I am? Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah. And others that you're one of the prophets of old has risen. Now notice what he said, hold on to that. John the Baptist, Elijah, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them not to tell this to anyone, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now he's, from our perspective, he's being pretty clear here. He is not talking in analogies. He's not talking in parables. He is telling them exactly what is going to happen and what is going to happen. He's saying that I am going to be arrested, I'm going to be put on trial, and I am going to be crucified. And on the third day, I'm going to come back to life. And he said, all, and he said to, to all, if anyone would come after me, meaning if you're going to follow me to that place, if you're going to follow me to the victory of the resurrection... 
Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my word, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes into his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to take that to mean there are some standing here who will live to see the Georgia Bulldogs and the Atlanta Braves win the same year again. I mean, this is what he's saying. He's basically saying it is going to come about that there's going to be this amazing victory that you never thought you would see in your lifetime. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. Remember remember who the disciples had just said, when Jesus said, who are people saying that I am? They were saying, you are Elijah or one of the great prophets or John the Baptist come back. So here, here these three are, James uh, James, John, and Peter are on the mountaintop with him, and who is appearing with Jesus but, but Elijah and Moses? And behold, these two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, and appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. Now, Jesus had just spoken of his departure. He had told them what was going to happen to them. They didn't seem to listen. Now that James, John, and Peter are hearing it directly from Moses and Elijah themselves, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. In other words, Peter's idea was, man, this is awesome. Andrew's never going to believe what I'm getting to see. We are the inner circle. We're here on the mountain with Jesus. Moses is here. Elijah's here. People are glowing. Amazing things are happening. Man, let's just pitch our tents, build some altars, and stay right here. But notice what Luke is saying, not knowing what he was saying. Luke recognized that what Peter was suggesting was nowhere near what God wanted to happen. And look what happens next. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the sun, out of the cloud, saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Now, I think when we look at this passage of Scripture, there are several things we see that are amazing. First of all, you see Jesus put it directly to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And you see the disciples respond in much the way the Jewish world was responding to Jesus at the time. They're pulling back these great heroes of the faith, the prophets, they're pulling back Moses, Elijah, even John the Baptist, who was much more recent, but who who himself was considered a prophet and had been beheaded. They're saying, hey, you're one of those people. They're saying, you are like them. They're looking at their past religious experience and saying, we see a pattern for this. And then you're seeing Jesus tell them what's going to happen. Pretty plainly, pretty directly, this is what's going to happen. 
I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried. And three days later, I'm going to come back to life. Then Jesus takes these three disciples up on the mountaintop. And they have this incredible experience with Moses and Elijah showing up. Peter thinks, this is great. Let's build some tabernacles and camp out here forever. And God himself speaks and says, basically, Peter, shut up and listen to Jesus. This isn't about you. This isn't even about Moses and Elijah. This is about Jesus. And Jesus says, Pete, we're not staying here. Have you forgotten already what I said? We're going to go down off this mountain, and I'm going to be arrested, and I'm going to be tried, and I'm going to be crucified, and three days later, I'm going to be raised again. Did you not listen? And if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, anyone who wants to be my disciple, guess what? You're going to have to take up your cross, come off the mountaintop, go into the valley, and follow me. Whoever would save his life is going to lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake is going to save it. Now, what can we take from this as disciples of Jesus? Not as people who are just saved, but as people who are seeking to follow Jesus and become fully devoted followers of him. I think the main idea is this. We can't stay where we are and follow Jesus. We cannot stay where we are and follow Jesus. You cannot stay on the mountaintop and follow Jesus, nor can you stay in the valley and follow Jesus. You have to be willing to do what Jesus said, to take up your cross daily and follow me. Now let's look at this from the perspective of the past first. The Jewish people had revered their history and their religious traditions, and they were right to do so. God was speaking to them through the scriptures, through the prophets for all that time. But here's the problem with the Jews of Jesus' day, and here's the problem with some of us who are, who, who are religious today. Many times we can't see past religion to where religion is pointing us. And Jesus' disciples and all the religious people around him could not see past religion when religion was actually pointing to Jesus. Jesus asked the disciples who people were saying that he was, and they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets of old. They were looking at the past, but they couldn't see Jesus through it. Confusing Jesus for religion is like confusing a signpost for the real thing. If you're looking for a hospital and as you're driving up the interstate or you're driving down the road, you will see signs that say hospital with an arrow. But if you're sick and dying and you stop at the sign and expect to be healed by the sign, you will not live. The sign is only pointing you past itself to the hospital where you can find healing. Religion, the prophets, all the Old Testament, all the scripture are not pointing to themselves. They are signposts pointing past themselves to Jesus, who is the one who can redeem and save your soul. They're useful. They're necessary. But they are not the ultimate thing. And so many times, we as religious people, people who, looking for God, they stop at religion. They stop at attending church. They stop at reading the Bible. They stop at giving money in the offering plate. All those are good things. But all of those things are pointing us past themselves, pointing us to Jesus himself as the ultimate thing. See, the transfiguration on the mountain, Moses and Elijah had appeared. What do they represent? Moses represents the law, the giver of the law. He was the one who wrote the first five books of the, of the Old Testament. And Elijah represented all the prophets. And what's happening on the mountaintop? But you are seeing lived out in real time, in full color, that the law and the prophets are pointing to Jesus. 
Everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. But Peter wanted to build a tent, not just for Jesus. Peter wanted to build a tabernacle for all three of them, as if all three were equal. And that's when God's presence clouded the mountaintop. Peter was afraid, and all that was left when the cloud was lifted was Jesus. Because it is not... Jesus is not equal to Moses or Elijah or prophets. Jesus stands above all of them and above all religion. Jesus is the way. It was only Jesus who remained. And what did God say to Peter? Listen to him. He is the ultimate one to interpret everything else you read in Scripture. Listen to him. But Peter wanted to camp out there. It reminds me in Luke chapter 24, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, as they're walking beside Jesus and they don't recognize him. But it says this in Luke 24, 27, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, there it is again, he interpreted to them all that the scripture was saying about himself. All the scripture is a signpost pointing the way to Jesus. The past was pointing to Jesus, but it had become a barrier to those who had chosen to live there. The question is, what about you and what about me? What about your past is holding you back? Are you content with just the law and the prophets? Are you content with just a Bible for the sake of itself without seeing it as a signpost that is pointing you to Jesus? What about your past is holding you back? Is it your successes, your failures, some shame? All of those things are roadposts. They're signs pointing you past themselves. Every failure you've had, every shame you've ever felt, every victory you've ever accomplished, everything you've experienced on the mountain or in the valley is pointing you to Jesus. But don't stay by the signpost. Follow it to its conclusion and see Jesus in all the pain. See Jesus in all the victory. See Jesus in all the accomplishments and all the failures. They're signposts pointing you forward. Don't stay in the past. But also I think we see something here about the present. Peter and the others almost fell asleep through their moment. Did you catch that? When they were fully awake, Luke says... They almost fell asleep. And then once they woke up, they tried to stay where they were. Look, look with me again at, at Luke chapter 9. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they were fully awake. So here they are on the mountaintop with Jesus, and these guys are falling asleep. And the glory of the two men stood with him, and as the men were parting from him, Peter said, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. Peter would have stayed on the mountaintop with Jesus in that moment with Moses and Elijah forever. And God responds in verse 35, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And what was he saying? What was Jesus saying that God was saying to Peter? Peter, listen to Jesus. Pay attention to what Jesus is telling you. What is it that Jesus had said? Look again at verse 23 and 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Notice what he said. Deny yourself. It's not about your past. Take up your cross daily. Live fully present. Be fully present. And follow me. Go into the future. Let me ask you, are you fully awake? Are you fully awake and aware of what God is doing around you right here and right now? Right in the middle of the current crisis you're facing? Right in the middle of the current struggle you are enduring? Right in the middle of the current hardship 
that you feel like you cannot overcome, are you aware that God is with you in this moment or are you sleeping through what God is doing? Are you trying to hold on to a moment? Are you trying to hold on to the current stage of life you're in because you're thinking it's never going to get better than this? Are you trying to cling on to the moment because you're thinking somehow this is the best it's ever going to be, this victory, this accomplishment, this achievement? Are you trying to hold on to the moment at the expense of following Jesus past the moment into the future where he is calling you? See, we prefer the past and the present because the future is so uncertain. We prefer the past and the present because we don't know what tomorrow holds. But Jesus says that it's when we don't, won't let go that we will lose everything. Jesus said it's when you try to hold on to your life that you lose it. But those who are willing to surrender it are the ones who will gain it. The future Jesus described was terrifying to his disciples. What did he say? Verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. We like the last part. The problem is we don't want the first part. We don't want suffering, rejection, and, and death. But Jesus says, if you're going to follow me to the ultimate victory, you have to leave the mountain, pass through the valley in order to achieve and to, re and to receive the ultimate gift of the resurrection. It wasn't just what would happen to him, but it was what's going to happen to them. It was what the, the, the future they envisioned for themselves. And they would much rather stay on the mountain than to follow Jesus through the valley of the shadow of death where Jesus promised, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. It is, it is me who is walking beside you. So what do you do with all this? A couple practices I think you can, we can learn. First, learn from the past, but don't live there. Learn from the past, but don't live there. Embrace the fact that what the scripture is pointing you to, what your past is pointing to, the good and the bad in your past, it is pointing you past those things to Jesus. Second, be fully present, but don't stay there. Be fully present in the moment. Don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep to, and ignore or, or miss what God is doing all around you. But also, don't try to camp out there in that moment because Jesus is not going to stay there. You're going to have to be willing to follow him. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Deny himself. Give God, your past. Ask him to show you how those are road markers, road, road signs pointing you to him. Take up his cross daily. Live every day with and for him and follow me. Give him your future. Give him your future. We've been going through this Sacred Rhythms journal. Uh, we've got a journal for discipleship, a field guide for discipleship. If you haven't picked one up, we've got some more out there. Also in our small groups, we're going through it. We've been asking you to work through this with the hope that on February 27th, on heyday, that you will make a commitment, a 365 commitment, three things that you'll do, that you'll love God with your head, with your heart, and with your hands, that, that, you'll, that you'll be in worship, you'll be a part of a community and study God's word together, and that you will go and serve in Jesus' name. That you'll reach out beyond yourself and invite others to, to have life in Christ and to be a part of the community at Aspire Church or any other church. And that you will live 365 days a year in the presence of Jesus, taking time for him every day. 
Following that commitment on February 27th, um, that following Tuesday, March 1st, we're going to have a prayer vigil, and we're going to kick off 40 days of Lent. And what we're challenging you to do is to set up whatever your sacred rhythms are going to be, is to establish them over these next few weeks in community, on your own, with your family. Establish those and then commit to living that way for 40 days from March 2nd all the way till Easter on April 17th. Because this is, this is what it means. This is what it means to count the cost, to make a deliberate plan. This is what it means to be intentional in following Jesus. Salvation is free. What a wonderful gift. But if you want to follow Jesus and experience the fullness of the life that he offers, we need to, we need to do the hard work of denying ourselves, of taking up his cross daily, and of following him. I'm reminded of what Paul said in Philippians 3. Not that I've already obtained all this. This is Paul writing. Not that I've already obtained all this or that I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and pressing on to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Do you see it? Do you see it in that? What is Paul saying? Deny myself. I'm not holding on to anything in the past. Take up my cross. I'm pressing on. I'm living every day in pursuit of Christ. And follow Jesus into the future to take hold of that for which God has called me in Christ Jesus heavenward. Will you be willing to set down, set down an old rhythm of living, an old way of life, to take up the way of following Jesus and to follow him into the future. That's the invitation that Jesus has for you today. I'm going to invite you to pray as our musicians come and we sing a closing song. If you want to respond or you want more information about following Jesus or what it means to be a disciple, if you're in the room, you can join us right after this on the third floor. I'll be there and I hope you will too. You can mark on your communication card digital or in print that you want to speak to me or speak to one of the ministers and we'll reach out to you this week and answer any questions that you have. But every one of us today, that while we're here, we face the challenge. We face the challenge of Jesus. Will we deny ourselves? Will we take up our cross? And will we follow him through the valleys and over the mountaintops? Jesus, we come to you today grateful for the challenge that you've offered us. Lord, a challenge to live a fully devoted life not to be half committed, but to be fully immersed in what you are doing. God, we thank you for the work of your spirit. We thank you for your presence in this place. I pray, God, that your words will pierce our hearts, will transform us, and will challenge us. That we wouldn't be content with the signposts of religion. That we wouldn't seek to stay in a comfortable place of victory or accomplishment. But that we would all take up our cross every day and follow you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Aspire Church Podcast. If what you've heard has been helpful, please subscribe and rate our podcast and share it with a friend. If you'd like to support the ministry of Aspire Church or want someone to contact you personally, please visit our website at aspirejacks.org.